Hey, good morning. We are finishing up the book of Acts today. That's right, the last two chapters, Acts 27 28. And before we get into that, I just want to say thank you to a few people because our family, are on, we are on sabbatical here through the months of June and July and, um, and getting filled up and encouraged. And, uh, and I'm grateful for Pastor Jim. I'm grateful for Sam Spence for filling in the gap and really uh, you know, bringing the teaching every Sunday. They, they're investing a lot so that we can be on this sabbatical. So thank them whenever you see them and thank the team, all the ministry leaders that volunteer and, and give of their time and, and, uh, and, and Chelsea in the office doing lots of things. Just we have a great team that does a lot of things here at New Hope to make what we do happen. All right, so we're jumping in here and, and I wanna get into this. Um, I don't know if you've ever ha- had an experience where you experienced a really, really bad like actual storm and uh, do we have anybody who's afraid of storms? You know, just show of hands. If you're afraid of storms, right? Yeah. So like thunder and lightning, your stomach automatically goes, you just get nervous. And, and maybe you went through a bad experience as a kid or something. But uh, we have all sorts of reasons why we're afraid of storms. Um, my wife, Nikki, she gets a little nervous during storms. And, I, and that's all I'll say. Okay. I won't go any farther beyond that. Um, she just gets nervous. And, um, and for us, at summertime, just like we do in this summer, our family goes down to Florida, kind of near Orlando, and we've decided every single vacation that we would give each other a day away during a vacation. So just a break, you know, from the busy, because vacations can be busy, but they can be relaxing. But, uh, but for us to spend a day away where we spend time with God, we spend time thinking about where we're at in life and praying and looking at the, the year ahead and, and just real intentional time. And, and, and usually what we do is we go to the beach by ourselves. Now, sometimes, though, uh, Nikki, um, she doesn't like being by herself. She's a people person, and so she invites me along. <laughs> and so the boys stay at the house we're renting, and I go with her and take her to the beach, and we kind of set up camp, and it's kind of just a, we still spend separate time. And so we were looking forward to that day. She was looking forward to spend that time. And we bring all our gear. We've got our chairs. We have this giant beach umbrella because we are white Ohioans, man. When we get out in the sun, we got to be careful. And so we're sitting under this beach umbrella. And, uh, and a little bit later in the morning, I'm looking back and I'm seeing clouds coming. I don't know if you've ever had that sense of like, those are really dark clouds. Like those aren't just like, it's just going to go over kind of dark clouds. And so I'm looking at the radar on my phone and seeing what's happening. It looks like it's not even going to hit us. It's going to go to different parts of the, the beach or south or north or whatever. And so I'm like, no, I think we'll be okay. And so we decide just to stay there and stay where we're at on the beach. Well, unfortunately, that storm, as most storms in Florida do, don't like go north and south or east and west. They just go wherever they want. And, uh, and that storm all of a sudden just showed up right on top of us. And it downpoured. And all of a sudden, the loudest crack and boom, thunder. I don't know if you've heard thunder hit waves. It's this crazy, like, echoing thunder. Boo, 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 kind of a sound. And so here we are, stuck under our umbrella, pulling everything around us. And we're, like, pulling the umbrella as close to us as we can. And we're, like, snuggled together, just waiting out this storm. It's probably one of the scariest things we've been through together because there's a lot of lightning, a lot of thunder. And there's no way we could have ran to make it back to our car because it was way down the beach and way in a parking spot. It would have been even more of a mess. And so here we were wading out the storm. It was scary. I don't know if you've ever been in an experience like that where it's like, I'm going to die. You know, like something bad's about to happen. It can get even worse, like tornadoes, all that kind of stuff can get really crazy. Storms happen, don't they? They just come. 
But today I'm not talking about just real storms. I'm talking about life storms. Uh, we're we're going to be journeying through with Paul through a crazy storm that he had to go through on a boat on his way to Rome. And in this story, we're going to actually learn some things about ourselves, about the storms of life, the things we go through. Because here's the reality. Number one, write this down. We all face storms in this life. There's no exemptions. Like We are all going to face things in this life that feel like storms. And whether they're relational storms or work storms or family storms, or we're going to go through stuff that just, that's hard. And we're going to struggle in those seasons when it's hard. And, and none of us are exempt. This is, this is what Jesus said, okay? Jesus said this, in this world you will have trouble, but, and I'm glad that's there, take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus never promised perfection in life. His promise was he would be with us. The reality is in this world we are going to have troubles. We're going to go through things that we don't think we should or we don't think we need to or, or things that happen to us or things that happen because of us, right? We are all either going into a storm, in a storm, coming out of a storm, just storms of life come. And today I want to teach you some practical things. You're going to have some fill in the blanks, you know, on your worship programs. And I encourage you, fill those worship programs out, fill in those fill in the blanks and let these things sink deeper into your heart and mind and let God challenge you through it as, as we go through this together, okay? So let's talk about some storms. Let's dig into the story. We are in Acts chapter 27. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Acts 27 as we jump into what is happening right here in the story. Now we encourage you, right? We give you these sermon series guides. And in these sermon series guides, it has the, uh, the reading plan for you to be reading through the, the books as we go through them on Sundays. Because on Sundays, we can't go through the entire chapters, all of them. We go through parts of them. And so hopefully you've read up and you're read up this week and ready to dig in this together. Because here's where we are in the story in the book of Acts. Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, uh, was in Caesarea for two years under different trials, right? He had three different trials with Felix, Festus, and King Agrippa. And all of them couldn't find any reason to arrest or to charge Paul. But the Jewish leaders kept continually pressuring them, saying, no, he's, he's spreading rumors, he's doing all this stuff. He's really is upsetting the Jewish leadership, right, in what they were doing. Well, Paul gets to Agrippa, and he wants to then appeal to Caesar. Now, once Paul appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen, they have to take him to Caesar. It, it goes to the next court. So even though Agrippa said, you know, you can go free if you hadn't appealed to Caesar, Paul has a different purpose in this. Paul's goal is to get to Rome. Now, to travel to Rome in that day and age, it was really expensive to travel to Rome, right? Like, think about how far that is. I'm going to show a map in a little bit, but not right this minute. It would have been a long journey. It's, 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 um, it's well over 2,000 miles, would typically take 36 days, and it would cost at least two years' wages for somebody to take the trip from where they are in Caesarea all the way to, um, to Rome. That's an expensive journey. Well, because he appealed to Caesar, he now becomes a prisoner of Rome. And now who pays for the trip for him to get to Rome? Rome does. <laughs> That's a, to me, I'm like, okay, God provided a way for him to get to Rome without making the, or having to have the cost of doing that. And that's where we're jumping in, into the story here in Acts chapter 27. All right, so here we go. Everybody ready? If you are, say, yep. Okay, here we go. 
When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to the centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from um, Adramatium, uh, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. So you have Paul, you have Ari, I'll call him, and you have Luke. That's why he's saying us, because Luke was on board. Luke wrote this book with them. So Paul was able to bring a couple of guys with him, which wasn't typical, but obviously Paul earned favor with the centurion with a good relationship. Like, he wasn't trying to run away. He was with them. So here they go. Verse 3. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friend's so they might provide for his needs. See how he earned favor? You usually, usually wouldn't let a prisoner just roam around. <clears throat> From there, uh, we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus, <clears throat> excuse me, because the winds were against us. Now, this is important because their sailing ship, the sailing ships that they are on, uh, history tells us that these ships were not huge, complicated ships, and they weren't like multi-sails and those kind of things. The way it usually worked was one sail, and depending on where the wind was going is what, uh, is what led the direction of where they could go. They couldn't go against the wind or side wind. They, they had to go where the wind was, and so it would speed up or it would slow down their journey. So here they are. They're on this journey uh, together. Now, let's keep reading. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. So this is how it would work with travel. There was no cruise ships, right? It wasn't like get on the love boat and go on a cruise or the carnival cruise lines. Like The only ships that were going from one port to another or from another city to another were cargo ships that happened to have space for people. It wasn't people ships that happened to have space for cargo. And so they would get to a port, and then they'd have to figure out, is there a ship leaving from here to go to where we want to go, and then go and join that crew and pay you the price and get on that ship and join them for the journey uh, in that process. So that's what's, what's happening. They're, they found another ship that's sailing for Italy, which is where they're heading into Rome. Now, I have a map, and we're going to pull this map up on the big screen so you can kind of see what this journey would have been like real quick, okay? So this journey, you can see where they started in the far right bottom corner, down there in Sidon, right? Down in Caesarea. <coughs> Excuse me. So Caesarea is, you know, near Jerusalem. And so Caesarea to Sidon, you can see this journey going up then to Myra, up near Snidus, and, and it's going to head over to this island of Crete. And we're going to talk about that when we get to the story, to this um, a place called Fair Havens, and they wanted to get to Phoenix, which is not in Arizona. This is the Phoenix that's in Crete, and from Phoenix all the way over to Malta and Syracuse and all the way up to Rome. You can see how long of a journey this is. This journey, uh, about 90% of this journey or 95% of this journey was on a ship, right? Is on the water. So Paul had to get used to being on boats, and he already was from other, the other missionary journeys. You know, he's used to being on boats and being on water on this long journey. But like I said, this is a long trip, over 2,000 miles. It would typically take 36 days, but this trip is going to last a little bit longer than that, okay? 
Um, it's going to take months for them to take this journey because of what they are about to experience in a ship in the sea. Because once they get past Fairhaven and trying to get over here to Malta, this journey is where the storm hits. It's where the storm hits them. Okay? So let's, let's keep going. Let's keep reading on what happens. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. Remember in that corner there? When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite of Salmon. Uh, we moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lisay. So this is, they're struggling because the wind is not cooperating with the ship that they have. And so they're just trying to make it work. They finally land and get to Fair Havens uh, near the town of Lisay. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous. Why? Because now it, has, uh, it was after the Day of Atonement. So this trip is happening in a season that can be difficult for travel. We know that the Day of Atonement is attached to, um, to the Jewish holidays and festivals, so we know that this period of time would have been around mid to late October, okay? And so you're heading more into the fall and winter months, which is not good traveling. You don't want to be out on the o open ocean during the winter months because it gets crazy, okay? And so here they are, heading towards that season, and they are not making as much headway as they thought they would to get there in time. So Paul warned them, men, I can see what our voyage is going to be that's going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. I don't know if this is like a Holy Spirit word of knowledge or if it was just Paul knowing how the sea works <laughs> of him saying, guys, this is not going to go well. We, we should not keep moving on on this journey right now. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Why? Because the owner of the ship, do you know what's on his ship? All of his cargo. And all that cargo is his livelihood. That's his money. If that cargo does not get to where it's supposed to be, he does not get paid. And that ship and that whole journey is on him. And so they're like, no, I can't do that. Like, we got to keep moving forward. And so that's what the centurion says. Yep, we got to. Why? Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that they should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. So they're like, we don't want to stick here in Fair Havens. It's funny because Fair Havens sounds like a nice condo resort, right? It's like, like I'm going to stay at Fair Havens this summer. Like, but that's obviously not what it was. They're like, we don't want to stay here over the winter for how many months? Let's try to get to Phoenix. Because honestly, like Phoenix in the wintertime in Arizona, perfect. Like 70 degrees, sunny, blue skies. Like that's a great place to be. This Phoenix, I don't know if Phoenix on Crete was like that, but it was better than Fair Havens. So that's what they were shooting for to get there. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. Okay, are we ready for things to get a little crazy? Because <clears throat> it's about to get crazy. The storm, the hurricane storm, with them heading towards the open sea, the open Mediterranean Sea, is about to kick in to full gear. 
I wonder what Paul's thinking. I mean, Paul's probably like, I told him, I told him, I told him. You know, he's probably like, we know he's not bragging, but he's probably thinking like, I told him this is not going to go well for us to try to make this happen. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars in, in uh, Syrtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. Do you see how bad this is getting? Remember when I talk about the cargo on that ship, how important and valuable it was to the owner because it was his money and livelihood? They are taking such a battering in this storm that's coming and that's on them. This is one of the most detailed descriptions of of, uh, uh, of ships and journeys on boats um, in, in history in this time period. And actually, people who aren't Christians, they study this because they want to learn how this worked. The fact that they were lowering ropes under the ocean and taking them and wrapping them around the boat and trying to hold the boat together just in case it fell apart or they hit a sandbar, right? They're doing everything they can to not die in this ship. And they're now scared to the point where they're saying, do you know what? We're too heavy. We're getting rid of the cargo that's important to us. We're getting rid of the valuable things that that owner says, this is my livelihood. You see, whenever you go through storms, and now I'm going to talk about our personal storms in life. When we go through storms, it changes some things in our life, right? Maybe you've been to a doctor's appointment and you get in that doctor's appointment and you hear from the doctor something you weren't ready to hear. And all of a sudden, a diagnosis comes into your life that, that you don't know what to deal with or do with it, right? Maybe it's going to shorten your life, or maybe it's going to be a hard battle, and you're wondering, what in the world am I going to have to go through with this? Maybe you're in the middle of a storm in your relationship with somebody else, and it just keeps on crashing and crashing and crashing. You're wondering, why do I have to go through this, and why are they treating me this way? And you're struggling with it, and it's making you rethink something. See, when we go through storms, and you can fill in the blank here, when we go through storms, storms don't just change our circumstances. They change what we value, right? For them, that storm was making them reassess. What's important on this ship and what's not? Our lives important? Yes. The cargo, not so much. When we go through storms in our life, it makes us reevaluate. Is this relationship important? Or, or does it not have value in my life? Or does this situation or especially when we deal with things that we think about that might shorten our life. I mean, boom, that immediately makes you reassess what is valuable and important. Sometimes we go through storms just so that we can remember what actually matters in our life. So often our lives get full of things that don't matter, right? We get busy, we get, we get uh, distracted. Our souls, even our emotions get overwhelmed by things that in the past would never have shaken us, but because we're tired and we've put other things more valuable in, it wears on our emotions. Like we go through these things. And if you're in the middle of a storm or you're coming out of one, it's a perfect time to reevaluate what is important. Reevaluate what you value. That's what a storm does. And when you do that, it may help you make some decisions. 
it, it may help you say, you know what, this was on my ship in my life, but I realize now I'm going through this storm. It's not that important. I've, I've invested way too much in this, and I've worried way too much, and it gets thrown overboard, <laughs> right? This might be a good time to do that in your life. Reevaluate. Because when we go through storms, it changes our circumstances, and it'll change what we value. And it's a good time to reevaluate what is important in my life. Do you know what's even better? is when we do this and we don't have to go through a storm. <laughs> when we intentionally stop and take those breaks and moments in our life where it's like, I'm going to take a personal retreat for a day or two and just spend time with God. And I'm going to ask him, God, what is important? What should I value? What should I have in my life? And what do I need to just get rid of? And, uh, and see what God might do and lead you in that journey. That's where they were in this storm. The valuables are now being thrown overboard because they're no longer as important as they used to be. Let's keep reading. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. What? It gets even more serious. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. I mean, they're at the end of their life right now is what they're thinking. They're throwing over the tackle, the, the, the tools and equipment they need for the ship. They're like, we, it's too much weight. We got to get rid of this. They didn't see stars or sun. It was cloudy and dark all the time. Those seasons stink, don't they? When you get into storms in your own life and just life feels cloudy and dark, those are hard times. I'm here to encourage you. I'm, I'm here to encourage you because if we're putting our hope in things that aren't God, we will have a difficult time breaking through the cloudy and darkness. When we refocus our life on God, that's when we start finding our true hope. See, for them, storms changed their comfort. And when those storms come in our comfort, it also pushes against our hopes. Not just what we value in life, but the things we hope for. And when we get uncomfortable in situations, when we get uncomfortable in storms, it'll challenge what we put our hope in, right? It'll make us realize, whoa, I've been putting my hope in something that isn't going to last. I'm putting my hope in something or a situation that I have no control over, or I'm putting my hope in, in, in things just getting better on their own or whatever it might be. Like we put our hopes in things we're in the middle of storms, but I'm telling you, if we don't put our hope in Jesus Christ alone, we're not going to get through. This is Christ followers. My firm anchor and foundation is Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what I want to challenge you on. If you're going through a storm, Put your hope in Christ. Let him be the anchor. Let him be the foundation. Let him be the one because he will not fail you. Even in the cloud, even in the darkness, he will, remember the promise? He will be with you. That's his promise. And that's where we can lay and rest our hope. <clears throat> we can rest it in Jesus Christ. Let me take a drink for a moment. I'll let you think about that. So when we get uncomfortable, it pushes against our hopes, but we need to find hope in the right place as we walk on this journey. Let's keep going through the story of what happened with them in the middle of their actual physical storm. Verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them 
and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. <laughs> like, that's the way I hear it. Like, you should have taken my advice. But we know, I don't think that's how he said it because he encourages them. So he's being more encouraging than like, kind of a thing. So he's like, you should have taken my advice and not sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself from this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. <clears throat> Excuse me. Only the ship will be destroyed. So he's encouraging them. He's like, don't worry. Take heart. Take courage. And he's reminding them, if you would have listened to me in the first place, this wouldn't have happened. But I want you to listen to me now because obviously my word is proving true in the situation. And then he gives them even more hope. He says, last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Now, I wish that sometimes we could just have an angel tell us what's up, you know, <laughs> like, like, come on now. Um, <clears throat> we see angels only do this in very specific parts in the scriptures and very specific reasons. Um, so for us, practically speaking, I don't want you to sit there and wait for an angel to tell you what to do in the middle of a storm. God has already told us what to do in the middle of the storm, and he's already given us his full word. That's what we have in the scriptures. And he's already told us to take courage, to take heart, to trust him. All these promises that we already have in Christ Jesus, we can put into play, just like he's saying, an angel came to me and said this. And we can say, well, God's word says me this, and this is the promise I can hold on to. He says, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. He said, nevertheless, the ship's going to get destroyed. We got to find some island and crash. We got to crash this thing. So this is turning into a Gilligan's Island situation, right? Like this three-hour tour is now going on for weeks, and it's getting crazy and ugly, and they're about to crash into an island, but not as cool as Gilligan's Island, all right? Uh, let's keep reading. Verse 27, on the 14th night, whoa, 14th night. This is the long journey in this ocean. Um, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Soundings for them wasn't like, you know, the sonar thing they shoot down for them, it was a rope that had marks on depth, and they would drop an anchor or a weight. It hit the bottom, and then they'd measure how deep it is. And so that's what they're doing. They're like, we're getting closer to land. The water is getting more and more shallow as they go along. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with this ship, you cannot be saved. Remember the promise the angel gave? Everyone on board will be saved. And now these, these sailors are trying to jump ship and save themselves and forget about everybody else on that ship. They're thinking, we're going to crash, we're all going to die, we're all going to drown. We're going to get off this ship the way we think we ought to. But he stopped them. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. It's gone. It's out of there. It's no longer there. I, here's my encouragement for us. See, they were trying to create their own way off the ship and out of the storm. 
No, we do the same things, don't we? Like we're, when we're in the middle of something that's difficult, so often in our own flesh, our own sin nature, just even our own minds, our own way of thinking, we try to come up with our own plans on how to get to the other side of a storm. And sometimes what we do is say, I don't think God's with me here. We may not say it out loud. We may not like, like make a big spectacle about it, but there's something inside of us that's just doubting. And so we try to find our own lifeboat like those sailors were trying to do. And we try to get off the ship with God and we try to get on our own ship and try to make a break for it. And the reality is if every time we do that, we'd be like those sailors. The promise of God's protection in the middle of a storm goes with us when we go our own way. We no longer are under the protection and under the promise that God has to be with us because we choose to sin against him or we choose to walk away. That is our choice. We have free will. So when we choose to do that, that's exactly like what they were doing. They were trying to get off that boat to save themselves and forgetting about everybody else. I want you to choose to be in God's boat in the storm. Choose to stay with God. Even when it doesn't make sense in times and seasons of life, they don't make sense. When we trust in God, He is our foundation. Like I said earlier, when we stay in the boat with God, God stays in the boat with us. It reminds me of a, a scene with Jesus and His disciples. And I don't know if you've read this in the, in the Gospels where uh, Jesus and the disciples had a long day and they were going out on a boat and to journey to cross over the sea. And, and, uh, and Jesus is so tired, He falls asleep in the, in the bow of the boat. He's taking a nap. When all of a sudden on the sea, a huge storm comes. And that storm just starts rocking that boat, going all over the place. And Jesus is just staying in the boat, and he is still sleeping. And all the disciples are like, we're going to die. What is going on? And they're all crazy and going crazy. And then they say, Jesus, wake up, wake up. We're about to die. What are you going to do? And then when Jesus stands up, if you've read the story, this is what he does. He says, quiet. It's like, stop. And he calms the whole storm, and it is done like that. And then they all turn and look and say, he certainly is the Son of God. That he can make the waves in the storm obey. I would rather be with God who can control the storm than be in my own lifeboat knowing I have no control over the storm. When you're going through difficult things, I just want to encourage you. Stay with God. And here's the cool thing with Paul. Paul wasn't by himself on that ship, was he? right? He had his buddies with him, and they were all praying, and they were all together. He had the centurion and the soldiers with him. See, whenever you are going through a storm, you don't need to just be on a boat with God by yourself on this earth. God made you to be with other people. He made you for relationship, and so you need to be in the boat with God and be with godly people in the boat. You need some people in your life who are encouraging, who can speak truth and life into you, who can, who can um, support you when things are getting really, really, really hard and your soul, your emotions, your life, your thoughts, it's really hard to get through. You need encouragers and spiritual people who will, who will walk alongside with you. So yeah, be in the boat in God's boat and be in the boat with God, with godly people and have people around you. I'm telling you, the moment you try to hop in your own lifeboat and go the other way, you're going to miss out on what God wants to do in the middle of the storm. And you're going to miss out on what he wants to teach you on the other side of it. We don't go through storms for no reason. And we're going to see what happens in this story and what God can do in our story as well. 
So let's keep going. Verse 33. So just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. That would have been me. I was on a boat for five minutes off of the coast of Mexico, and everything that was in me was out feeding the fish. And if I had to be out there for 14 days, I wouldn't have been able to eat a darn thing. And so here they are in suspense. Now, I urge you to take some food. You need to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God and in front of them all. Um, Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Wow, that's a big boat, right? It wasn't just a few people on this boat. 276 people were aboard and God was going to save every single one of them. Some of these were centurions. Some of these were Roman soldiers. Some of these were prisoners, lots of prisoners that they were taken to Rome. And these were sailors as well who were just on their trip. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. They're like, we're not going to be sticking around here too long. We don't need this. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground um, if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. This is an intense moment, right? The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. Like, wait a minute, you went through all of that, and now the soldiers are like, the prisoners, we got to kill them all. Here's why. A soldier who was in charge of a prisoner and was traveling with them to get them to court or wherever they were going, what, if they lost that prisoner and that prisoner got away, that soldier would be responsible to pay for the debt of or to pay the consequences of what that prisoner was accused of. And so these soldiers are thinking, if they get away, this is going to be on our head. We just got to kill them now because they're going to run away. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their, their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were uh, to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. This is, that might have been the first scene of surfing in the Bible, right? They're, I don't know if they stood up and got some waves, but they were getting whatever they could, right? In this way, everyone reached the land safely. They all made it. God made a promise. They went through a storm. Paul heard the word, take courage, and exactly what God wanted to happen happened. And they crashed ashore an island. And that, that island is called the island of Malta. If you read all of chapter 28, which we don't have time to, to, to today, but verse 28, that's what happens. They land on Malta. They, um, uh, Paul gets bit by a snake, but he doesn't die. The natives see him and like, who is this guy? He heals one of the main leader's uh, fathers who is sick. And now, now they're in this place for three months on the island of Malta. And I know what Paul does. Paul's preaching the gospel. A church got planted on Malta before they headed away from Malta. When it came three months later, it was time to travel again, back on the ship, and he finally makes his way to Rome. Now in Rome, 
We know once he gets there, he goes on trial. He gets under house arrest. This is a quick summary, right? <laughs> he gets under house arrest, and, he, and he's under arrest for two years in Rome. And while he is there, we know that God used that to do powerful things. See, in, in his own jail, in his own house arrest, guards have to watch him on six-hour shifts. But the brothers and sisters in Christ come and visit him. Um, the Jews who are curious about this new message of the gospel come. And God's work keeps happening. This is where Paul writes to the Ephesians, the book of Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, books that we are still reading today happened while he was in Rome during this period of history. And I'm grateful that he was faithful in it. Now for us, we see that God used that storm in Paul's life to get him where he needed to go. He used it till still to have people hear the gospel, even in the midst of it, and to trust God in the midst of it. God can still do all those things even in the storms that we grow, go through. And here's my last point. I want you to fill in the blank here. That when we go through these storms, this resistance in my life produces resilience, strength, maturity, and a dependence on God's presence and work. When we go through these storms, when we wrestle and struggle through these situations, these things create, these resistance create this resilience in us. I, I tell you what, the things that I thought were big in my life and hard in my 20s are like blips on the radar now in my 40s, right? We grow. And we do the same thing spiritually. We grow in spiritual strength and spiritual maturity. And here's the big thing. Paul absolutely had this. He had an absolute dependence on God, God's presence in his life. He trusted God above all things and on God's work in his life. And for us, that's our challenge. Would we allow God in the midst of storms, could we be a little bit like Paul? Could we experience things and let God use those to bring us spiritual strength and maturity? that we would daily grow in our dependence on God and his work and his presence in our life. Because I know when I do it on my own, I struggle. I struggle. The days I depend on God, those are better days. And, uh, and God gets the glory in the end whenever he does those works in, through, and on the other side of storms. God may want to use a storm in your life to bless somebody else. That's a part of the journey as well. And so if you've been through things and God has taken you on this journey, I would encourage you, if you're not discipling somebody else, if you're not mentoring somebody else, I would encourage you, start. I mean, here at New Hope, we have a pathway to help you do that, to help become a mentor, to, to start uh, working with somebody else who's younger in their faith. And we would encourage you to take that step because they need you. They need somebody on their boat <laughs> to help them as they go through these things that you've already been through in life. So that would be my encouragement to you. I'm grateful for this whole journey we've been on through the book of Acts and encourage God is still doing today his work of the Holy Spirit, spreading the gospel, multiplying the church, and we are a part of it. And we're grateful for it. Amen? Amen. All right, let me close this in prayer. God, thank you so much for this word, the encouragement and the challenge that we see Paul. I mean, Paul in his faithfulness to you, to your word, to the gospel, to the message, and his willingness to, to suffer in ways that most of us in this room will never suffer the way he did. But it encourages us to take heart and to take courage in the middle of our storms. I pray for those this morning who are in the middle of a storm.
Bring them hope, God. Bring them encouragement. Bring them people in their life that will encourage them while they're in your boat. I pray, God, for those who are coming out of a storm, prepare them for how you want to use that story in their life and the life of those around them. And God, for all of us, let us walk with a spiritual maturity and strength and resilience. Help us today, tomorrow, the day after that, be dependent upon you and your work in our life. Thank you for the word today, God. Use it for your purposes. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.